0: Hey, everyone. So I'm doing something a bit different today. I wanted to share with you all a recent interview I had on a show called Access Ideas, a podcast that takes a closer look at popular ideas about culture, psychology, and well-being. I had such a fun conversation with Jana in which I share a bit more about my own personal journey in the building of Well and Strong. I hope you enjoy it. Welcome to
1: Access Ideas, where we share insights and perspectives that spark curiosity, conversation, and inspiration. I'm Yana, and today I'm sharing my conversation with Jacqueline Genova. Jacqueline is a certified holistic nutritionist, wellness writer, and podcaster, and she's passionate about healing through integrative medicine. She's also the founder and host of the Well and Strong blog and podcast, where she speaks to some of the leading figures in the fields of wellness, integrative medicine, and mental health about what it means to be well and strong in both body and mind. Her mission is to provide trustworthy, research-based, and inspirational content. Today, we discuss Jacqueline's personal journey to wellness, integrative medicine, the concept of terrain in understanding and supporting our health, and how to navigate the complexities of research and health data. We also highlight the resources you can access today on the Well and Strong website and Instagram and what's next for Jacqueline. Please note that the content in our podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended as medical advice. Discussions about health and wellness topics, including medical treatments, are not substitutes for professional medical guidance. Always consult your healthcare provider for any medical concerns or before starting new health treatments. And with that, I bring you Jacqueline Genova. It's great to have you on Access Ideas today, Jacqueline. Welcome
0: to the podcast. Thank you so much, Jan. I'm so excited to be here.
1: You have an incredible podcast and you've got some really wonderful guests. And I noticed that at each episode ending, you like to ask them, what does well and strong mean to you? So maybe we can start there today with you and talk a little bit about Well and Strong and how you came to focus on this.
0: Absolutely. I love that. Reverse engineering. I mean, <laughs> that, quite honestly, on is my favorite question to ask my listeners, um, which is why I do save it for last. But I do have a bit of an unconventional background with regards to how I kind of found myself in the wellness space, but... That truly started when I was about 13 years old. My mom was diagnosed with stage two breast cancer and her diagnosis really served as the catalyst that caused me to really just immerse myself in the world of complementary and alternative therapies for cancer. And you know, it's certainly one thing to hear about our approach to cancer care in this country and then actually experience it as I watched what my mom went through. But this really just ignited a passion to figure out you know, why our current models not working and figure out another approach. So that passion persisted for a while. And then fast forward to when I was in college, I studied at a school known for business and entrepreneurship. But the irony is that I would say the highlight of my college career was completing a thesis that essentially advocated for an integrative approach to cancer in our country. And I certainly learned a lot through the writing of that paper, which again, just served as fuel um, that I used to advocate for change. So long story short, that thesis coupled with my passion and my mom's own cancer journey really led to the birth of Well and Strong. So it will be three years. um, Well, actually, it has been three years this November that I've been I've been at it. Fantastic. And
1: just for listeners to specify, where are you located? You're in the United States, but whereabouts?
0: I am. So I recently moved to Greenville, South Carolina from Boston a little over a year ago. I've been enjoying the South. The winters are much more mild, so I can't complain.
1: Oh, that sounds ideal. It's inspiring to hear about your journey towards holistic wellness and obviously having a personal reason like your own mother, having a a cancer diagnosis. I can only imagine how um, much that might have impacted you. Where do you think you decided to focus more on the holistic side? Was it seeing her initial reaction to conventional cancer drugs and treatment and making you think that maybe there was an alternative way of doing things?
0: Yeah, that's a great question, Yana. I mean, Quite honestly, I would probably say it was, it was her recurrence in 2018. So um, we found out it spread to two spots on her spine and anytime it spreads, it's quote unquote stage four when it's, you know, no longer in the original site of origin. And at that point, I just really stopped to question why did this recur? You know, it's been over almost 10 years since her stage two diagnosis in 2018 she was on a medication called tamoxifen because her tumor was ER positive. And that was kind of like the gold standard. I mean, I think it still remains the gold standard today to prevent recurrence. So here we were 10 years later, she followed everything her conventional oncologist said, yet she still, you know, experiences recurrence. So that really kind of, I guess, put me in the weeds a bit more as to questioning, you know, has what she been doing Was that the right path? And going forward, what is the best path since that didn't necessarily seem to work? Mm -hmm.
1: And maybe here we can define some terms and specify you're not against conventional treatments. And I think sometimes this is called allopathic medicine. Some people say traditional medicine, which can be confusing because traditional medicine can also be confused with Chinese medicine. So for our conversation, I'll try to use the terms conventional or allopathic. Do those make sense to you based on what you've you've shared already?
0: Absolutely. And yes, for listeners, so allopathic medicine basically refers to a system in which medical doctors treat symptoms and diseases using drugs, radiation, or surgery. Those are the top three. To your point, it's also referred to as conventional medicine, mainstream medicine, orthodox medicine you may hear, and Western medicine.
1: And so for yourself, do you prefer the terms holistic and alternative, or what terms do you like to use?
0: I'm a fan of an integrative approach. So an integrative approach essentially incorporates an allopathic approach and a holistic approach. So holistic healthcare is, you could think of it as a form of medicine that really treats the whole person, right? So it's not just the physical body, it's also emotions, it's the mental facets as well. So with an integrative approach, um, you know, again, I I think conventional medicine does have a time and a place. So, for example, you know, this would be an acute situation. So someone who needs stitches or an emergency surgery. But I think that conventional medicine can cause more harm than good when it comes to addressing more chronic illnesses like, you know, autoimmune disease or cancer when it's solely, um, you know, the only source of treatment that a patient chooses to to opt for.
1: Definitely. And I think this is important because a lot of people hear the words alternative or holistic and they think, oh, that person's against using conventional medicine, but you're not against using it. You're looking at context. And specifically, I, I love this term integrative medicine because it's about getting maximum benefit from all the knowledge that we have out there. So maybe you can talk a little bit about starting well and strong. And how do you ensure that the content remains both research-based and inspirational at the same time?
0: Absolutely. So Well and Strong is three years old um, from when I actually published the website, the WordPress site. But quite honestly, it's it's really started back in 2008 with my mom's first diagnosis because that, again, just forced me into this world of, of healthcare and integrative medicine. So, I mean, I've been researching essentially since then. In terms of ensuring that the content is trustworthy on the site, I do have a lot of experts in the wellness space, right? And I define an expert as essentially like a medical doctor, a naturopathic doctor, you know, other folks with training. And one thing I love about that is because it provides, you know, a comprehensive view of different people across the spectrum. And certainly within each article, I also request that there be Solid resources from sites like PubMed, um, you know, other resources to help back up the claims that those authors are writing in their piece, again, just to ensure trustworthiness and integrity of the information being relayed. I, too, write content. Uh, I haven't had, my time has not permitted me to to write as much as I'd like to at this point, um, which is why I started my podcast, because you can certainly get more information out, I feel like, in a more succinct way. But it's it's definitely been a journey. And again, I do have a lot of guides published on my site that just encompass all of the research that I've done. I have a 35-page or so guide, um, an integrative approach to breast cancer, again, that encompasses all of the research I've done for my mom over the past several years. It pulls from the thesis I wrote in college.
1: Wow. Can we share that with listeners in a
0: link? Absolutely. I would love that.
1: And I think it's it's confusing for so many people because we hear terms like research and, and double-blind placebo and clinical evidence and PubMed. I mean, I'm, I'm somewhat familiar with PubMed research, but there are complications with research and peer-reviewed journal articles. And you've touched on this a little bit with your conversations with experts, which is not to undercut or undermine that credibility. But I think some people don't always realize that research is sponsored by pharmaceutical companies, or it might be sponsored by somebody who has a conflict of interest in some way, maybe not in that time, but maybe in the future. And again, I don't want to discredit PubMed material because I think there's a lot of very reliable research that we need to to make important decisions around treatment. But maybe we can also talk about some of the interesting insights or evidence that you're seeing more recently that's given you insight to what you might prescribe or how you might help one of your clients treat an issue.
0: Yeah, that's such a great point, Yana. And this has come up in numerous of my own podcast conversations with experts. And I think at the end of the day, you can find a study for nearly anything, right? You, You truly can. And I think when it comes to being discerning of what's truthful or not, you really need to educate yourself on how to actually read and interpret a trial and a study and the context of it, right? So that includes who sponsored it, you know, how it was performed, certainly, you know, evaluating any conflicts of interest within the study. But I think at the end of the day, my advice would be look at what the people who healed did, Right. So, even outside of PubMed and all these clinical trials, for example, there was a woman who wrote this book called Radical Remission, Kelly Turner. And she essentially was a PhD student. She traveled across the world and she just observed cases of people with advanced cancer, stage four cancers, who experienced what we call radical remission. And she wrote this book that essentially highlighted. Sorry, can we define what radical remission means? Absolutely. So radical remission is essentially just cancer going away, right? Into remission without any known reason, Mm -hmm. right? It just, it disappears. And quite honestly, it is a rarity. But again, this woman, Kelly Turner, you know, she observed all these cases of radical remission in different parts of the world and wrote a book that highlighted like the seven or eight common themes that she saw within all these cases of radical remission. And a lot of them touched on emotional healing. So like the power of forgiveness, you know, mental healing, um, more lifestyle oriented things, you know, rather than medications and therapies and supplements, which was just incredibly fascinating and powerful and goes to show patients the power of emotional healing, you know, when it comes to physical healing of of certain ailments. So truly, truly interesting book.
1: We'll definitely link to that as well. Maybe we can talk a little bit about some of these therapies. What are some other non-medication based therapies that you've had success with or you've seen success with?
0: It's a great question. So I can tell you what I've what I've seen success with success with in terms of reading online on a firsthand basis. So I'll speak to my mom's journey. So my mom started doing high-dose vitamin C therapy, I want to say six or seven months ago. And this is a super fascinating therapy because basically the mechanism by which it works for listeners who are like, what is high-dose IVC? When you reach a certain threshold of concentration of vitamin C in your bloodstream, it actually starts to generate hydrogen peroxide, which is selectively toxic to cancer cells. So most cancer cells lack this enzyme called catalase, and that basically helps to break down excess hydrogen peroxide in and around those cells. So by taking advantage of the lack of that enzyme and creating a lot of hydrogen peroxide, which we know is an oxidative therapy, it's highly toxic to cancer cells. And There's even some conventional oncologists out there who are starting to recognize that high-dose IVC is really powerful as an adjuvant treatment for cancer, right? Going back to the integrative approach. And it does act synergistically with many standard therapies like chemo, for example, as well as a method for actually mitigating some of the toxic effects associated with chemo.
1: And is high-dose vitamin C- therapy, does that mean just taking a lot of vitamin C tablets or is it like an IV drip?
0: Yeah. So it's actually the latter. It's an IV drip. Um, I mean, certainly you'll hear folks talk about the benefits of liposomal vitamin C, but if you really want to get that therapeutic concentration, which is basically when your blood sugar measures between 350 to 450 after a session, you have to go the IV route.
1: Interesting. And can you talk a little bit about the concept of the terrain in integrative medicine? So what, what does that mean? I've heard that term a few times in your podcast.
0: Absolutely. So Dr. Winter Winters, I feel like, really coined this term. And it essentially refers to addressing what we call the internal terrain of our bodies. So that means ensuring that we're creating an environment where disease can't form. So what does that mean? That it means addressing things like our nutrition, our gut health, um, core foundational things in our body that need to be healthy in order to prevent disease. And people might be thinking, you know, gut health, what does that have to do with anything? Well, over 70% of our immune systems are located, of our immune system is located in our gut. So her whole methodology is essentially creating a strong terrain so that our immune systems are strong and that we are able to fight off cancer, um, you know, as our bodies were were made to, to prevent disease in the first place. Gut
1: health is becoming a really prolific area of study. We're seeing constant output of research and findings. And I think more and more people are appreciating just how much their gut health contributes to their overall health and even their mood, their experience of living life. Um, What are some helpful tips that you might give to people who are listening and maybe they don't have cancer, but they might not have the greatest health and they might be interested in improving their gut health in some way, aside from just going out and buying a bunch of supplements, which obviously you're not recommending. How can you help people think through that?
0: Yeah, That's a great question. And I think, too, unfortunately, one of the reasons why people don't make or don't take the active steps to improve any area of their health is because they're very overwhelmed, right? Especially in the wellness space, we hear, you know, if you have an issue, you have to do 20 things in order to heal. That's not the case. So gut health is a great example. I think it really starts with nutrition And when I say that, I mean specifically eliminating things that are inflammatory. So things like gluten, for example, if you're within the U.S., gluten is binary, it's not pure, therefore it's inflammatory, um, and I think it should be avoided. I mean, we hear scenarios where people go to Europe and consume gluten and they're fine because gluten in Europe is, is pure. Again, removing other inflammatory things, dairy tends to be a trigger for a lot of people, Certainly anything with sugar, um, alcohol is really, really not great for gut health. So making small changes like that, I think would be the first step. So remove. um, There's a four-step program. It's like remove, repair. Um, I spoke with Dr. Amy Myers the other week on one of my episodes in in my podcast, but essentially it starts with removing trigger foods. Again, introducing healing things. So things like bone broth. Um, I'm a huge bone broth advocate. It's A little um, takes a bit of time and effort to make, but once you have it, you just consume a cup a day and it's very, very powerful. And then, certainly, you know, introducing certain supplements, um, L-glutamine, slippery elm, other herbal extracts are very powerful. And perhaps most importantly, and, you know, not necessarily spoken of enough, is ensuring that, you know, we're also not experiencing too much stress because cortisol and stress definitely impact our intestinal permeability. So it's, again, it's a combination. It's truly a holistic approach looking at all those different, you know, areas and hoping to address it via a whole, whole person approach view.
1: What are some stress management or stress reduction techniques that you've seen be extremely effective? So if people are feeling overwhelmed and they're, hearing everything from, you know, to ice baths, to go on a retreat in the remote jungles of the Amazon.
0: <laughs> <too>. <laughs> yep.
1: um, something as simple as just getting enough sleep. Like, let's let's go back to basics here. What are some really accessible stress reduction, stress management techniques that you want to recommend?
0: Yeah, I'm learning this myself. And I think at the end of the day, wherever someone travels, right? You travel with yourself. You can't escape your mind. You can't escape your thoughts. So true. And I think there's this fallacy that people think if I go on, you know, the seven day retreat where I meditate in the mountains, I'm going to be healed of everything and come back. And, you know, that's, that's not the case. Right. So again, I think it starts with small things. Um, For me, one thing that's been incredibly beneficial is just morning silence, and I used to be the type of person, I still am sometimes, where I feel like I have to constantly be learning something.
1: I relate. I, I relate. I'm sure you that. do.
0: Yeah, as a podcaster, I think we just have this inherent like desire to always wanting to be to be learning. And yeah. I think that, you know, I mean, I would always play podcasts from the second I woke up in the morning on my <laughs> morning walks that's me. <laughs> yeah. And it's, and it's funny because we think we're, you know, getting all this information and we know we're, we're you know, getting benefit. But the irony is that we have so much stimuli on a daily basis to our brains that we don't get a chance to rest. And again, one practice that's been really beneficial for me is just taking my morning walk. I leave my phone at home, Yana, I will go for a 30 minute walk and I will just look up, And look around and listen to the sounds of nature. And it really puts me in a state of of rest. You know, being in nature activates your parasympathetic nervous system. Um, Something else I've integrated is learning to not check my email until like, you know, 10, 30, 11 o'clock in the morning because it won't put you in a reactive state you know, learning boundaries, not having to feel the need to reply to every single message or text that I get, trying to eliminate the need for perfectionism. I mean, the list goes on and on, and I think everyone can personalize it according to, you know, areas that they think they need to, to improve. But silence at the end of the day is, is really, has been key for me.
1: That's important. I agree. And even just taking any point of the day to give yourself silence, um, and go outside, ideally, if you can. Nearby where I live, there are some beautiful trails. And I've been making a point of of going out even at lunchtime and trying not to look at my phone or listen to podcasts. But I have the same issue. I'm always uh, compulsively learning, like trying to take in more information. And you know, we live in a time where that is supported by all the tools and the resources that we have. So, great suggestions. I love that Jacqueline. I think that's that's helpful. And again, these might not be revolutionary to listeners, but so often we need to hear things. We need to be reminded about what works because we got into a habit of something that you know doesn't work, and it we just aren't thinking about it. So maybe we can also highlight some other interesting therapies. One of the most intriguing ones that came up in your podcast was mistletoe therapy. Can you talk a little bit about that? I mean, it's Christmas coming up, so maybe
0: (laughs) people are thinking about mistletoe. (laughs) So timely. Yes, absolutely. So mistletoe, I quite honestly learned about this therapy within the past two years from uh, an association called Believe Big. It's a nonprofit. Definitely encourage listeners to check it out. But basically mistletoe extract is a semi-parasitic plant with several active ingredients that in preclinical studies appear to directly cause the death of tumor cells and stimulate an immune response. And mistletoe most commonly is, is performed via self-injection. It could also be done intravenously. Uh, my mom's been doing the former um, over the past year or so. And it's, it's truly fascinating because again, back to the integrative approach um, it, It may contribute to reducing the risk of tumor recurrence. Um, It complements chemotherapy and radiation by helping to alleviate side effects like nausea and loss of appetite. And it basically just helps enhance the body's natural defense against cancer to promote better quality of life for patients. And this organization, Believe Big, actually funded um, or is in the process of funding a clinical trial at Johns Hopkins University. It actually just passed phase one that showed it to be a safe treatment. And it's, it's truly an incredible therapy. Again, my mom started doing it a little over a year ago. It's minimally invasive, um, again, has really no negative side effects. You just have to be willing to inject yourself, but it has some pretty powerful benefits.
1: That's impressive. Are there any links or resources you want us to mention so people can learn more?
0: Yeah, Believe Big. Again, Evelise um, Page, is one of the co-founders. She's an incredible woman. I had her on my show a few months ago. Actually, my very first podcast episode, Yana, was on her podcast, Believe Big. So she kind of helped give me the push I needed to start mine. But yeah, that organization has essentially everything you need to know in terms of understanding what it is, how it works. I mean, I provided a brief outline, but they also have resources for patients who want to connect with practitioners to actually be able to, you know, get the mistletoe and start that process because, you know, conventional oncology doesn't necessarily offer it as a treatment. So yeah, that's my my go-to resource.
1: Perfect. We'll, uh, we'll list that. In your recent conversations, Jacqueline, you've talked to a few experts in wellness and mental health. What are some surprising or impactful insights that you took away from that? Maybe they made you rethink some of your assumptions.
0: Yeah, the more I learn, Yana, the less I know. <laughs> that's, so true. that's That's what it comes down to. And I think one thing that I've thoroughly been enjoying throughout all of my conversations is picking my interviewees' thoughts specifically on nutritional protocols because the diet space right now, it's so nuanced. It's so divisive. It's worse than politics. You know, everyone's yes. so contentious. People have their own thoughts on you know, this diet over that diet. And again, you can find a study to support nearly anything, right? So it's just a matter of discerning, okay, what at the end of the day, like, what is the most optimal? So to your question, I think one thing that I've really learned is that the folks to trust in the health space, in my opinion, and I've said this numerous times, are the ones who admit that they don't know everything. Mm
1: -hmm. That's always a good sign.
0: Yeah, and it's the ones that are open to being challenged. Um, People that use words like, you know, may, might, it it could, perhaps. I think people that are very adamant on certain regimes or approaches are kind of the ones to be a bit leery of. And yeah, it's just been really interesting to see the evolution of, you know, nutrition and, and thoughts on the optimal diet, even over the past decade. And, you know, hopefully be able to share what i think is you know perhaps the most optimal that everyone should be you know opting for but
1: yeah i like that i think that's important i think humility is a sign of of intelligence i mean self aware humility where people are saying i don't know everything i'm still learning every day um and there are some very dogmatic influencers i should say on every topic related to our health from intermittent fasting to cancer treatment. And I find it really disconcerting when they use the all or never language or just, yeah. you know, if, if you don't do this, you're wasting your time. And it yeah. can be very frightening to people who are already feeling overwhelmed and uncertain about their their particular choices around what to do for, whether it's cancer treatment or autoimmune. But maybe we can walk through this challenge a little bit more because there's so much contradicting information and strongly opinionated practitioners and researchers in natural medicine coexist with allopathic medicine. And I feel like sometimes patients are pushed between a rock and a hard place where it's like you have to pick a side. And that's, like I said, it's super stressful. So you've taken this integrative approach, Jacqueline, and I think that's really key for success how can you use both how can you navigate those conversations or those groups of information even and try to find the right answers for yourself
0: yeah it's it's challenging it is it is not easy and i think you know with an integrative approach right you want people who have opinions on on both sides of the spectrum conventional and and naturopathic and i think that the struggle comes in selecting providers, particularly on the conventional side, that have an open mindset, right? So, back to the point earlier about humility and, you know, having an open mind with other therapies, those are the folks to trust. Sadly, most conventional oncologists don't necessarily have that open mindset. And I mean, in fairness to them, they have to abide by what we call the quote unquote gold standard, right? For certain cancers, it's, you know, XYZ treatments and if they don't necessarily prescribe those to their patients, they could be sued. But at the same time, I do think there is room for open-mindedness and I think it really comes down to selecting a practitioner um, or a conventional doctor rather who's willing to work with the patient and who doesn't necessarily, you know, negate the possibility that there are alternative therapies that could be beneficial. Um, and effective and, you know, perhaps work synergistically with some of the conventional treatments that they themselves are recommending. And I've, you know, I've struggled with this with my mom. I mean, I'm constantly bringing trials and studies and information to her oncologist. And, you know, again, they want to see this double-blinded placebo, you know, all these phase control trials, which I understand, you know, that's important. But, you know, I think open-mindedness is, is truly key and having the support of your practitioner in whatever the patient decides to do is really going to be the actual game changer at the end of the day.
1: hmm I agree. It's hard though. Do you see any examples or possibilities where conventional medicine is being more open to an integrative approach or... Are there any signs that the research published on PubMed is is willing to take an integrative approach? I I would be I would take that in a positive way. Do you see any of that?
0: That's such a loaded question, Yana, because (laughs) there's there's so no, I love it though, and I, I think about this every day because sometimes I ask myself, all right. Let's let's use mistletoe, for example, right? Mistletoe just passed phase one at John H- Hopkins. And, you know, that study is going to probably persist for, I don't know, the next few years before we actually get to a conclusion. But let's say it just proves to be a viable, safe and effective treatment for cancer. Does that automatically mean then that insurance will cover it and that conventional oncologists will be open to it? True. Right? And I mean... There's all these like conspiracy theories, right? Of how, you know, first of all, the cancer industry is one of the most profitable areas of the healthcare sector, at least within the United States. And I think it's really interesting because, you know, we put all this funding into all of these drugs, yet it's still one of the leading causes of death um, for Americans. And it just makes you question why have we not made progress in this area that has received so much funding? Mm-hmm. It's incredibly lucrative, right? So I think there's there's truth in everything. But yeah, I mean, that's, that's sadly why most people seek alternative treatments, for example, in countries, you know, in Europe, and Germany, in Mexico, um, areas outside the US where they can receive these therapies and not necessarily have to, you know, I guess, like be scrutinized by their conventional oncologists. Yeah, you know, yeah. a, a lot of these therapies aren't covered by the FDA or approved by FDA. So there's a lot of factors at play.
1: That makes sense. We don't have to go down that road all the way. But I think something you mentioned earlier, or spontaneous or durable remission is very intriguing because the truth is some cancers do respond to drugs and conventional medicine very well, but then other cancers will spontaneously go into remission either through alternative means or simply on their own. But obviously most patients don't wanna take that chance of saying, I'm just, you know, my, my oncologist is telling me to take chemotherapy and I think there's a chance based on what I see that it could go into remission. This is such a hard question to consider because obviously we can't study this in in a large group basis. It's up to the individual typically because we live in countries respectively that give us the choice to take treatment. And I I would think that most people will probably take the treatment that their oncologist recommends. And some of those people will probably try integrative medicine by working with you know, uh, complementary therapies or holistic practitioners, but still not get the full benefit of somebody who has full integrative knowledge from both sides, so to speak. So do you have any thoughts on this? I mean, this it's a bit of a philosophical angle. It's it's not a right or wrong thing. But what would you like to see more of? Where would you like to see medicine go in terms of the, the conventional treatments being more open to an integrative approach?
0: Yeah. I'm trying to figure out how I can say this in the most clear and concise way. I think it it comes down to mindset, Yana, right? So a conventional approach, I mean, you could look at all these drugs that are coming to market for cancer, right? And essentially at the heart of them is they target mutations within the cancer. So we'll look at my mom's case, for example. She has a PIK3CA mutation that arose probably, I don't know, a year or so after she was taking a hormonal therapy. Why is that? Because cancer cells are smart. They adapt. So if you give a drug to a patient who has a certain type of mutation, within a year or two, those cancer cells are going to adapt to that drug and they're going to form another mutation. And then at that point, there may or may not be a drug to address that mutation. So they're not really addressing the root of the cancer, right? So to your point about the terrain earlier, conventional medicine doesn't even look at terrain. They look at targeting actual like mutations within a cancer cell, which inevitably will change over time. So there's really like, there's no end to it. And whereas integrative medicine says, okay, we could use that approach plus a, a, a root approach, right? So let's look at the terrain in the body. Let's look at how the immune system is functioning because, you know, we are born, God gave us immune systems to, to fight disease, right? We have an inherent ability to heal in our bodies. Why aren't we trusting that more? And why are we not supporting it more, you know, as we should support it? And another analogy too, Yana, I like to use when, you know, describing kind of the difference between conventional and holistic medicine is if we think of cancer, right, as mold that is growing in a basement, Conventional medicine might come in and say, "Okay, there is mold in this basement. We need to get rid of it right away. What is the fastest you know approach to get rid of it? Let's use bleach. Let's mm. just put bleach all over the mold. it'll go away, one, two, three, done." Holistic medicine says, "All right, there's mold in the basement, but why is there, why is there mold? Like what caused it to grow?" what are the conditions of the environment? Is it really humid down there? Is there not enough air circulation? How can we change that so as not to allow the mold to grow in the first place? Because with the former conventional approach, you use bleach, you kill the mold, but if you don't address that environment, the mold's going to come back,
1: right? Mm -hmm. That's a great analogy.
0: And it's going to come back stronger, again, to the point about mutations, because it's already developed, you know, an idea of what's going to hit it and it's smart, it's going to adapt. So, for example, patients who are undergoing chemotherapy, you know, chemo and conventional treatments, they kill daughter cells, cancer daughter cells. And that's a really... What
1: are those? What are daughter cells?
0: So it's basically the cells that stem cells create, cancer stem cells. And again, cancer stem cells are the ones that cause recurrence, right? So that's why people who, you know, do conventional treatments who don't necessarily address anything else, they may have recurrence because they didn't address the cancer stem cells. And interestingly, there are some complementary therapies that have been shown to kill cancer stem cells, like high-dose IVC coupled with doxycycline, which is a drug that's been, you know, it's an antibiotic, but it's now more commonly being used in cancer treatment as an off-label drug. So Again, I think the beauty with an integrative approach is chemo might mop up the daughter cells, but you're also doing a complementary approach that's going to prevent the stem cells from creating more daughter cells, and you're also killing the stem cells, right? So again, I think there's a place and a time for everything, and I think that at the end of the day, you know, the most conservative approach is the best approach. Um I don't necessarily think folks should go, you know, all guns blazing.
1: Maybe just going back to your analogy of bleach. I was also thinking, if you go down to your basement and spray bleach, you're breathing in bleach fumes, which to be fair is not your you know it's not the best thing to do for your health exactly um and and similarly, chemotherapy treatments are incredibly hard on the terrain of our body if we want to use that term, yeah um in all kinds of ways that you know that don't really have to do with the cancer it's it's a side effect of course that You know, there's certain drugs that we know are very effective for treating certain types of cancers, and the side effects are simply an unpleasant price that we pay for getting the benefit of killing the cancer cells. But I think where integrative medicine, as I understand what you're saying, is to not simply, you know, take a a very extreme approach and, and kill off the cancer cells, but do all that you can to optimize the terrain after that cancer is gone. So even if you want to go through with chemotherapy, and I'm in complete support of most people who want to do that, I think it makes perfect sense. Integrative medicine can still play a role in giving you a better chance at remission and just having good health after. Because going back to that bleach analogy, if you spray bleach everywhere in your basement, you're going to do other things that aren't so great for your basement, not great for your respiratory system, if you go in and you assess the, the the basement for humidity and light and all the things that led to the mold, let's say you do want to spray that bleach, you can still change the humidity and the light levels and prevent mold and enjoy your basement works. You're not going yeah. to keep spraying bleach,
0: exactly. So, yeah, and and even to Jan, I mean, you know, to your point again, like there's so many other things you can do to mitigate those toxic side effects of chemotherapy and also protect healthy cells and you know people might be saying oh I don't have access to high dose IVC I can't afford it I can't afford you know hyperbaric oxygen but there's studies that have shown that even fasting which anyone can do fasting around the time you receive chemo has been shown to help reduce the toxic side effects of chemotherapy and actually protect your healthy cells So this is a very simple practice anyone, you know, undergoing chemotherapy right now could do. And it's, it's very, very effective. And something else I want to mention too is at the end of the day, whatever treatment someone opts to pursue, the most important thing, in my opinion, is your mindset on what that treatment is. And I had a great conversation with Dr. Veronique Desonje. She is known as Breast Cancer Conqueror. And she, has written numerous numerous books on basically healing breast cancer naturally. And in our conversation, she had mentioned that, you know she's seen patients who went the chemo route and they just envisioned that chemo as essentially liquid gold hmm. going into their bodies and just healing them. And they had very positive outcomes. So independent of whatever therapy someone opts to pursue, If that person believes that therapy is going to work, it will work. Your cells react to your thoughts, right? Bruce Lipton's done so much work on this. So the power of mindset is very, very powerful. Yeah,
1: I think that can't be underestimated. And I know people might scoff or laugh at that, but the fact is we're seeing more research on things like placebo effect and hypnotherapy, and those are systems of belief where we can heal ourselves. You know, I just saw an article the other day, I can't remember where, but it was all about using hypnotherapy to heal serious gut issues or at least make make it less painful. Our beliefs absolutely make a difference with the efficacy of treatments. And I think you had mentioned on one of your episodes that, or maybe it was one of the guests that you had talked a little bit about, if you had somebody who was living a very high-stress lifestyle and they, they got this diagnosis and they, they go to a retreat or some sort of alternative therapy location, they might feel better after a few weeks and they might come back home, but you both emphasize like healing happens at home. And if your day-to-day activities, your beliefs, your habits, your mindset is going back to that very high-stress, unhealthy, for lack of a better word, um, lifestyle... That will absolutely inhibit healing, and it can put you at greater risk for recurrence of autoimmune issues yep. and cancer, unfortunately, too. Um, so, I really like this direction that we're seeing in our popular understanding of health. And again, evidence matters, but I think we are seeing more evidence around how our mindset, how our beliefs contribute absolutely. to our health
0: and our and our healing. Yeah. And even to Yana, I mean, I'm, I'm Christian. My faith has been incredibly powerful and not only well and Strong's journey, but my mom's. And the Bible says life and death are in the power of the tongue. And that just goes to the point of the words we speak to ourselves are very, very powerful. And to your point earlier about, you know, what should someone look for in a in a doctor when seeking care? Look for someone who speaks life over your life And a lot of conventional oncologists, you know, will see an advanced stage cancer patient and say, oh, you have X amount of time, you have X months. That is the worst thing to ever say to a patient, because first of all, the doctor does not know, the doctor is not God. And secondly, you know, the fear that's instilled in a patient, you know, when they get a cancer diagnosis, that's probably one of like the worst just triggers for, for making the cancer worsen is that fear mentality. So again, just the, the importance of speaking words of life over yourself, that you are healthy, you are well, you know, the medication, the chemotherapy, whatever it is you choose to pursue is having a positive impact on your body. Again, it's just, it's, it's really key.
1: Yeah. And those types of diagnoses can put people into a, a spiral of despair where they stop trying and they stop believing that healing is possible. And regardless of your religious beliefs, I think there are absolutely correlations between what you're believing about your outcomes and the potential for healing. So I think that is important. And working with a healthcare provider who's going to be life-affirming and helping you focus on getting the best outcome possible rather than casting a shadow over what's possible. I think that's that's really clear. I want to pivot for a moment to some of the really practical ways that people can get the benefit of your wisdom, Jacqueline, because you have some really lovely guides. Um, and particularly, I, I really appreciate their creative and popular illustrations on your Instagram account and your Facebook account. And these are nice visuals in that they sum up a few habits related to specific, whether it's uh, like hormone support during the holidays, I think you had a recent one, or autoimmune disease, things that contribute to to helping with autoimmune disease. Even had a recent one I thought was really cute, December self-care, decorating your space, living in the present, um, forgiveness. I, I think that, that says a lot. Um, things that people, I would say almost everybody can benefit from immediately talk a little bit about those illustrations who does them how did you gain inspiration for those what made you just decide to start doing those
0: absolutely surprise I actually create them so I've I've discovered I I used to consider myself probably one of like the most least creative people (laughs) and again, I mean, this just goes to the point that I think creativity is a skill, not a talent. I've just been working at using Canva and finding what works and what doesn't work in terms of engagement. But yeah, I think the goal with those illustrations, again, is just to convey important health topics in a fun, succinct, easy to understand manner. I'll certainly include more context in the caption if it's a more, you know, comprehensive area. But I think just those daily reminders for people to to see. I try to post at least, I don't know, I try to post most days. I do have to take some time for myself, but uh, I think they've been an effective means for, again, people to just start incorporating small steps to a, a better and a more healthy lifestyle. I love
1: them. I think they're so helpful in the sense that they're the common wisdom that many of us tend to put to the side or we forget. So I highly recommend to our listeners, that they follow Jacqueline even if you're not dealing with any serious health issues right now these are really lovely whimsical illustrations that make me smile and they remind me of some of the very basic but important components to doing our best during stressful times and and taking care of ourselves so thank you so much for bringing your creativity there i completely agree i think we're all creative but some of us get caught up in self-limiting beliefs and we think that we're not born with some sort of talent but creativity is absolutely a skill we're all creative and i'm loving how you brought that to your own practice as an integrative holistic practitioner um somebody who's who's even bringing that creativity to to instagram and facebook and making it accessible for people who they they might not otherwise have the time to read longer articles or or pieces of information Maybe you can talk a little bit, Jacqueline, about brand collaborations, working with other practitioners, working with other influencers even in health and wellness. What's inspiring you? What are you looking forward to? What do you want to share?
0: Yeah, well, first of all, thank you. I'm glad you enjoy the illustrations. It's for responses like that, that I create them. <laughs> and it's been, it's it, it, they're fun for me to actually create. So I, I do enjoy doing it. Um with regards to brand collaborations, yes. Oh, I mean, just in building well and strong. One thing I kind of found a knack for was marketing, and I think it's incredibly fun. And one of my most favorite things to do is to work with some of the wellness brands whose products I obviously use. I don't endorse anything. I don't actually use myself, and basically help them, you know, optimize their engagement, their social reach. I when I first started Well and Strong, I actually started creating illustrations for some of the brands I worked with that they would post on their social feeds. My very first one was Four Sigmatic. And I think the illustration I created, again, this is me when I first started having zero sense of understanding <laughs> of Canva or creativity, shared an illustration with Four Sigmatic that like gave them a record amount of likes. And it was that point that I realized, hmm, you know, there there might be something here. Let me explore it further. So that kind of expanded beyond illustrations into, you know, more types of social content, like creating reels, um, certainly on my Instagram, you know, again, just providing tips and tricks for some of the brands I work with as to how I think they could increase their reach. I do enjoy working with startups. That's kind of been ingrained in me since studying entrepreneurship in college. But yeah, it's just, there's a lot of areas that I'm interested in, Yana, but I think that's another challenge I have is really trying to hone in because if you're chasing two rabbits, you're not going to catch either one. (laughs) Um, So I've really been working on kind of 80-20, you know, narrowing Mm -hmm. my focus. Certainly my podcast has been a big focus of mine this year, but Mm
1: -hmm. it's been fun. Well, that's great. And maybe that leads us to our wrap up. What are your aspirations for Well and Strong? What's next for you? Are there any new areas or topics that you'd like to explore more and focus on more?
0: Ooh, I love this question because it really makes me think. I have been enjoying my podcast a lot. I've I've really been enjoying being able to sit down and speak with some of the, the people that I've admired in the health space for so long and that have written even content for Well and Strong when I first started. Certainly is a lot of work, as you know very well. I only have about 30 episodes under my belt, but uh, still a work in progress. I think for the future though, Yana. So I could see I could see myself doing one of two things, perhaps both, um lord willing, but I think my goal is to make complementary therapies more accessible to patients in the US, mm-hmm. right? I want a patient to be able to to be able to make the decision not out of fear, but out of hope to be able to go to a center in the US not worry about having to spend, you know, $100,000 on complementary therapies, but be able to feel safe and have a place where they can actually do hyperbaric oxygen, IVC, coles toxins, some of these off-label drugs, and actually, like, have success with those treatments, right? So building integrative health centers within the U.S. But certainly with that, you know, you need certain approval. So perhaps prior to that would be bringing some of these therapies to clinical trial, um, you know, certainly helping to fund that whole process. But yeah, that's huge. That's huge. That is the goal.
1: Yeah. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast today, Jacqueline. It's been great to have you.
0: Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me.
1: you love Access Ideas, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate and review us on Podchaser via the link in our show notes or wherever you happen to listen to podcasts. Tell your friends about the podcast too. Until next time, thanks for listening to Access Ideas.